all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. It doesn't match the model that's currently out there, and I realized that early on. Um, the model that's currently out there as far as guiding, in my opinion, okay, um, as far as guiding doctors as to how to treat Lyme didn't match what I was seeing in the patient population as far as what was being offered for treatment, what people, how people were being turned away that had obvious symptoms. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your Lime Journey guide, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 235 with the author of Rising Above Lyme Disease, naturopath Dr. Julia Greenspan. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, everybody. And in this episode, you're going to learn three main things. Number one, how much time should you wait for a new protocol to work before you give up on it? Number two, why developing a healthy mindset starts with setting boundaries and how putting yourself first is the most unselfish thing you can do. Thanks, Aurora, and a big shout out to all you longtime Lime Ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in, and we'd like to welcome all those new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. You're now officially a Lime Ninja. Welcome, everybody. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week, we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week, we've had listeners tune in from Colombia to Canada and from India to Estonia. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit about today's guest, Julia Greenspan. Dr. Julia Greenspan is a naturopath who graduated from the University of Natural Medicine in 2006. She founded her practice in New Hampshire and quickly started treating Lyme disease. She contracted Lyme herself and is now rated a top Lyme literate doctor in New Hampshire. And in March, she published a book, Rising Above Lyme Disease, to support patients and families fighting Lyme. You know, there's nothing like getting Lyme disease to really open your eyes to everything. There's that kind of pun meme, you don't get it till you get it. And doctors who have family members or themselves had Lyme disease are really at the forefront of pushing forward. So best we can do is cheer them on. It's, it's great to have them in the Lyme community taking care of us. 
So yeah, you go first. <laughs> why did you? I'm a little low energy right now. Why did you want to talk to Dr. Greenspan? As you know, we're beginning to lay the foundation for our Lyme journey roadmap. What we've discovered after doing 230, what is this, 35, 234 episodes is that most people don't have the basic roadmap. And I'm not talking about a specific protocol like the Cowden protocol or Buner protocol, something like that, but an overall roadmap. How are you going to get from where you are right now to Lyme free? At least Back feeling to like living life. life. Yes. I say Lyme free. I use that term free loosely. Don't <laughs> send hate mail about it. We know it may be there, maybe not. But anyway, you're winning with Lyme disease. It's like it's no longer an issue. You don't worry about it. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. How great would that be? Just live your life and just live the life you want to live and not worry about or do you run out of energy today or are you gonna have to pay for it tomorrow, type of thing. That's what we're talking about. And Dr. Greenspan's book really gets into the first phase. So we've, we've separated this map, this journey, the Lyme journey into three phases. And the first phase is the reboot phase. That's kind of where you take stock of where you are. A lot of times it has to do with resolve, not resolving, but reconfiguring your life. Even if you've been in treatment for a long time, sometimes you have to take a step back and, and start all over again right? Yep. Uh, you have unrealistic expectations. You've been doing something that has been working for three years. It's time to try something new. Maybe you're just totally at a loss and don't know what to do next. So that's the reboot phase. A lot of times also people have to reboot if they're just discovering they have Lyme disease. They've thought they'd had MS or something. You know, you have to reboot. So that's the first phase. The second phase is to resolve. And that's really resolve all those infections you have. And that's everything from Epstein-Barr to Lyme to Bartonella whatever it might be, mold, anything that's in there. And not as exactly to cure it, but to resolve it so it's no longer the main player. And then the last is to restore. You know, what damage has been done been done to your mitochondria, to your psyche? What do you have to rebuild and restore to get back on your feet and get back out into the world full time? This interview is really about the mindset phase, having a healing mindset and what that takes. I encourage you check out her book. It's wonderful. If you're in the New Hampshire area and you need a Lyme practitioner, I was really, really impressed with Dr. Greenspan. Look her up. She's wonderful and a great asset to have. So that's that's what we're doing here. All right. Now, the other thing to know, and we'll have more about this information at the end of the interview. So hang on to the end of that. You can go to our website and get a worksheet to help you do this roadmap. And we'll have more information as the weeks go by. And really, we'll have workshops and things like that. So you can create your own Lyme journey roadmap. We're not really telling you how to do it. We might be telling you kind of when to do it. But or we what, not what to do. But we want to give you the foundations of kind of what steps to take and how to go forward. Absolutely. We distilled down all these interviews into every successful Lyme patient has done these things in more or less this order. And if you want to get better, that's what you need to do. It's really that simple. And then use something like the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker to make sure you're progressing forward. That's that's one of the big issues here. There's one thing I talk ask Dr. Greenspan about is like, well, how do you know when to abandon a protocol? And uh, if you listen, we'll give you that answer. So hang in there. It's a great interview. And here we go. 
Hello, Dr. Greenspan. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, how are you? I'm quite well. I'm very excited to speak with you. My daughter and I were going through your book this morning in preparation, and congratulations. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, before we dive into what you've learned and what you've written in your book about Lyme disease, I want to ask you a, a, a professional question, actually. It's like, what inspired you to be a naturopath? Because that's a little bit of a path less well taken. Yeah. Um, well, I was raised around pharmacy. Um, my dad is a pharmacist and um, multiple generations of my family. And so I was kind of raised around that world most of my life. And I had an interest in medicine, but knew that the the conventional model just didn't quite work for me. I was actually originally a social worker and, and psychology. I was heading into getting my master's and doctorate in psychology. And I realized that I wasn't happy, wasn't happy doing the work. And one day I looked up on my bookshelf and noticed that I had a bunch of books on alternative medicine. I was just reading for fun. And it dawned on me that that was my calling that I had taken these extra classes in school and done things and just sort of done it for fun. And I'm like, if I'm doing that for fun, then that has to mean something. So back, I, I changed my entire major. I had to go back and do pre-med classes that I hadn't done uh, that weren't required for psychology and basically started over at the age of 24. So, um, and uh, went back and got, did a couple years of prereqs and then went to medical school. That's awesome. That's that's wonderful. That my experience with acupuncture kind of the same thing. It basically hit me on the head when I wasn't looking, uh, and just said I'm going to go do that, and so off I went. <laughs> it's funny how those things can creep in if you pay attention. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it was definitely a calling, and um, and then it just kind of took off from there. And so it's uh, not. Not a lot of people don't really understand what naturopaths are and what our background is, but. Perfect. So why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit? Thanks. Yeah, there's a little bit of a difference. There are a lot of individuals um, who who might say that they are a naturopath that have a bit of a different education. Um, but uh, NDs that practice in several states and that are licensed throughout the United States, and every year more and more uh, states are becoming more formally licensed. Um, and, and I'll explain what that means in a second. But um, basically, uh, you know. Uh, Doctors in, in general are required to have an undergraduate degree, um, a four-year uh, bachelor's or a master's, um, and then they move on to doing a doctorate. And so the same is required for naturopathic doctors. There are f about four different schools in the United States. I went to one that's in Portland, Oregon. I was the 50th graduating class. And um, basically, it's, it's, a, it's a medical program, just as, uh, just as you would find. Uh, the first two years are basic medical sciences. And then the second two years focuses more in on specialties and clinical time. And then we also have residencies for, for docs that are outcoming as well and, and moving on into their careers. Um, and so, you know, there's quite a bit of education there. Um, and we're also in the states where we are licensed. I was actually chair of the board here. I live in New Hampshire, and we have a state medical board um, that are specific for naturopathic doctors that hold to the same standards and um, regulations and, and quality of care um, as far as um, keeping up our continuing education and making sure that we're providing a safe medical care. And you'll find in different states on the West Coast, we're a lot more well known where there's a lot more of us there because there's a lot more schools on that side of the of the country versus the East Coast. So here in, in New Hampshire, there's only about about 40 or 50 practicing naturopathic doctors, um, whereas in Oregon, you'll find several thousand. 
And so they're a lot more integrated into the hospital system. But uh, naturopaths are covered under insurance. Uh, so a lot of people, that's the big question when people come in and see a naturopathic doctor, um, they want to know if we're covered. And they, they can be depending on the state here in New Hampshire. It, it's very convenient um, for being a, a Lyme specialist that I am covered by insurance because, you know, anybody who's been dealing with Lyme disease knows that it definitely can be a very expensive process to try to recover from Lyme. So anything that we can do to help make that easier. And is there a national organization where somebody says, gee, I wonder if I can, if they're licensed naturopaths in my state, where can they find out that info? Yeah, uh, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. Okay. Because I know yeah. here in New York, it's uh, we're not there yet. No, keep trying though. <laughs> keep trying. Uh, yeah, so there's a few states that are that are still kind of struggling with trying to get that to go through and gain acceptance. And what it does when that happens is it provides more safety for the public because if you know if people don't know and they're going to see somebody who calls themselves a naturopathic doctor and and somebody doesn't know that there are programs out there that it, where individuals might go to school for just a couple of months and take classes online. And if they're working in a state where they don't have to have any type of a credentialing um, or a, a degree or prove that they've passed boards and, and all of that or that they're continuing their, their training. Um, you know, they can just hang a shingle and say, I'm a naturopathic doctor. So you really there are people who are practicing in unlicensed states that are from uh, a four year medical program. So you really want to ask somebody if you're going to go see a naturopath, where did you graduate from? How many years did you go to school? And they may be licensed in other states where there is licensure, uh, where they're maintaining that. But it really is safety for the public because you want someone who's working with you that has a medical background that's going to be giving you medical advice and uh, providing you care. Yeah. So Bastyr's one of the schools. Bastyr, yeah. And what are the others? Yep. I went to the National College of Natural Medicine. Um, and there is also the Southwest College of Natural Medicine or Naturopathic Medicine in Arizona. And then Bastyr also has a satellite school in, in California as well. And there is also a school up in Vancouver, BC. But there's, there's just a few of us. And there is a school in, on the West Coast in Connecticut. Uh, but I think that it is actually closing. But it was uh, Bridgeport, Bridgeport University. So, yeah, there you go. There's a little bit of background there. No, I think that's important because it's, we, we hear sometimes, actually, it's like, how do you pronounce it, right? And so it's naturopath, naturopath. I mean, you start, you start there. It's like, how do you pronounce that thing? And then it's kind of like, well, what exactly is? And you start talking to, to different practitioners, and some of them are essentially MDs, like you said. And then others are just like experts in supplements. And so it does make – it makes a huge difference. And in California, they can prescribe medicine as well, Right. Yep, and here in New Hampshire as well. As well, yeah. So it's it's really, you know, you guys are the first, now they're trying to, well, not trying to, but the functional medicine movement on the MD side of things is really trying to bridge that gap. But, I mean, you know, why reinvent the wheel? You've got this wonderful training and education already in place. It's like, just become a naturopath. Yeah. Well, and it's a different type of training. So there's things I, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And and there are things that are going to be perfect for someone to come see a naturopath for. And then there are going to be things that are going to be more suited for seeing a conventional medical practitioner that has hospital rights and that can escalate things in a way that that I can't and that, that my training doesn't involve. But when it comes to the chronic disease model, naturopaths are really, uh, we're, we're really 
trained from day one to be managing uh, chronic illness. And that really is the the, the number one issue um, over acute disease, um, you know, uh, over acute infections, the, the chronic illness is the one that's really putting a strain on human quality of life and on, on really the medical system in general, um, both you know, financially and, um, you know, in all respects. So us being here and, and really focusing in on, you know, the patient and their whole story. So our goal is to really look at all aspects of, you know, what a patient has been through up until the point that they are sitting down in our office. And then my job is to try to help them build themselves back into being healthy um, over the course of time. And, and with Lyme disease, that is especially true, that there is a, there's a whole rebuilding and restoration process along with trying to get over the infection. And speaking of that, why Lyme disease? Why did I specialize in that? Uh, when I first moved here, uh, I, I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, actually. I, I, I'm not actually a, an East Coast girl. I'm a West Coast girl. But I've lived here for about 12 years and 12 or 13 years. And um, I when I first moved here, my goal was to start a clinic for general practice, general family medicine, and environmental medicine was my main focus in medical school. So cleaning people out, getting toxins out of them, getting, helping them, you know, restore their health with how they eat and what they're, what's in their homes and in their bodies. So, um, and doing chelation and heavy metal chelation and detox. And people started to show up. Um, I, I, you know, growing up, I, the reason why it's significant growing up in Portland, Oregon, or growing up in an area where there isn't really much Lyme, or at least there wasn't for me growing up, um, and at least nothing compared to what it is here on the East Coast, it, you know, it was, I had no idea of what it really meant to live somewhere with a, an epidemic, you know, or having to go outside. I mean, you know, we had bugs and all sorts of stuff and things like that in Oregon, but not, not like it is here with ticks. And so people started to show up with illnesses and I, you know, uh, by hearing their story, I tested them for Lyme. They were positive. And I'd say, well, you know, go and go and see your PCP. This is positive for Lyme. It's an infectious disease. You know, at the time I wasn't. Right. Uh, how, how hard can it be? <laughs> how hard can it be? Go yeah. treat it. Like, they'll take care of you. Yeah, yeah. go. And, and, um, and I don't really like to do antibiotics. You know, it's not my thing. You know, I had just graduated. You know, I just, it was, I, that wasn't my focus or my comfort zone. Um, so people came back. Uh, patients would come back about a week or two later and say, you know, I tried and they refused yeah. and they refused to treat me. And so I'm like, what? And yep. I, I, you know, coming from a social work background, I have a real problem with disenfranchisement and people not getting, you know, the care that they need. And, and, um, so I started treating and, and in this area, once people hear that you treat Lyme disease, they, you know, the word gets out. <laughs> Very quickly. Yes, it does. <laughs> and then, uh, so it had been a few years that I started to treat Lyme uh, just because it kept showing up. So the practice sort of chose me. And then I found out I had it um, a few uh, years later. Uh, Lyme, I had Lyme disease and babesiosis. Um, and so then I became a patient. As well. Yeah. So that yeah. was very life-changing and um, helped me be a better doctor. Uh, yeah, it sure does. It. Yeah. So where, what did you turn to, to begin learning about Lyme? The first packet, the first thing I ever read, and actually I'm going to be doing a lecture with him in a few weeks. Um, and I'm a little nervous about that because he's like my Lyme superhero, but is uh, Joseph Burrascano. Yes, of course. Um, he has a packet out online uh, called Advanced Topics on Lyme Disease. And, and uh, when I was first thinking, all right, maybe I'll do this Lyme thing. Not many doctors 
doing it and people need help. And I got to get myself like, I got to get some idea of what to do and what's going, you know, how to handle this. So it's about a 45, 40, 40 page document. And and I have recommended it over the years because it was for a long time before other books had come out online. Um, that was a, a really nice resource for people that could be reliable because it's a big issue with people trying to find reliable information around Lyme disease um, with the internet and especially with everything out there and all the fear and kind of the you know, the, the, the opinions about it. So I would say that was my very first resource that really helped me. And then of course, um, I've been training, um, I'm a, a member of ILADS and, um, and I've been doing their trainings for years and, and, um, some, you know, going yearly to the conferences the best I can. And then I started off by taking their, they have courses that they teach every year for new doctors that are treating Lyme to kind of give them a primer and an idea of how to get started. And so I started with that about a decade ago or a little over a decade. Yeah. Awesome. Just curious. And and then why, I mean, I kind of have been, uh, the answer already in my head, but I want to ask you, like, why not the IDSA? <laughs> uh, well, ooh, you're going there. Okay. Um, so- I mean, but, but really, so, you know, you, you're, I'm, I'm going to call you a doctor. You're a doctor, right? A doctor. And Lyme disease is kind of new to you. And I mean, the only reason I feel you would not lean that way is because you're a naturopath and you're kind of a little more open-minded, but why not go to the experts? Because treatment, because people are being denied care. Okay. It it doesn't match the model that's currently out there. And I realized that early on, um, the model that's currently out there as far as guiding, in my opinion, okay, um, as far as guiding doctors as to how to treat Lyme didn't match what I was seeing in the patient population as far as what was being offered for treatment, what people, how people were being turned away that had obvious symptoms and lab results, you know, that treatment time. One of the major differences I find between the IDSA and ILADS um, is treatment time, you know, that, that we treat longer and we treat until we see symptoms, you know, coming to a, a time of, you know, being in a place of remission or recovery. Um, and, and, and many times in, in the current, with the current limitations, um, set out by the IDSA, uh, it's sort of like the, well, we've treated you for Lyme, that's it, you're done. And it has to be something else now. Um, and then they have, you know, post Lyme syndrome. And, you know, if you look at the literature, there are even doctors who are in alignment more with the conventional model, but they'll say in, you know, uh, in studies that, okay, we have this definition of post Lyme syndrome for individuals who've had Lyme. And now have, you know, continued joint pain and headaches and fatigue. Well, how are we serving that population? You know, I thought that was a really important question of somebody who follows more the IDSA model when I was doing research for the book. They were, you know, it was like, how do we serve this population? We don't even have any, they didn't even have any guidelines as to how to really serve this population that had all these chronic issues after having Lyme. You know, we could, they, they labeled it and called it something, but there's really no follow through with how to manage care for these individuals. So I think those are some big distinctions and why that model didn't work well for me. And also you'll find that the ILATS model is very integrative with natural medicines, you know, and weaving that in. And that's a really big part and a really popular part when you, when you go to the conferences and the things that you see, um, a lot of the doctors, the MDs, DOs, nurse practitioners, naturopaths um, are all talking about conventional treatment with antibiotics and different medications and balancing that with natural medicine. And that's that's where I felt most comfortable. Oh, is it fair to say that in seeing these patients come back to you, it kind of, you weren't satisfied with, with what you saw? It's like, okay, who else is out there that we can begin to learn from? Exactly. 
Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so you, know, you learn from your patients. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm very, um, I love what I do and I'm very connected to the community here. I'm very connected to the population. I might, you know, a lot of compassion. I feel very protective of the patients and, and how, you know, protective I am of their, you know, making sure that they're mentally, emotionally, and physically handling everything. Okay. And moving through the process. And that was a big motivation with writing the book that having a more open discussion about what's happening to people um, because of all of the controversy around the disease is actually creating more trauma and more chaos for individuals and more for them to recover from because they're just stuck in the middle of this back and forth between doctors and, and being, you know, not knowing who to believe and what to believe and being very demoralized by being denied care or being told that they don't have what they have. Uh, they don't have Lyme disease that doesn't exist, or they don't have these tick-borne diseases. This can't possibly be what's wrong with you. And so it's really, it's hurting families, it's hurting um, individuals. And so that, that to me, and especially I live in a smaller kind of a community here in New Hampshire versus where I grew up in, in Portland, Oregon, and more metropolitan. And so I, I feel very connected with the community in that way. Now, how far did your Lyme progress? I had neurological Lyme, so uh, I it took two years of treatment. I used about everything you can imagine, and I'm one of these people that will try stuff out on myself before, like when I bring new therapies into the clinic, I'll try it out on myself before I'll give it to somebody else. Um, and and I did about five months of IV antibiotics, and this is all in tandem with natural medications and all sorts of different supportive therapies, physical therapies, and things like that and energetic ones as well. It, it, and my mine uh, involved, you know, having a lot of neurological issues. So I would have a lot of seizure events um, where I'd be more awake. And that's pretty common I see in, in the Babesia population with Lyme, a lot of abnormal body movements and things like that. Had a really hard time tolerating being in public spaces and was in a lot of pain and very uncomfortable. Um, but I still, I don't know how I did it, but I still managed to work my practice. You know, wow. about day. But, you know, I, I had a very lucky situation where I was going through all of that, but I had a built in, uh, you know, support system here. You know, I, I, I ran a Lyme, a tick-borne disease clinic. <laughs> so I could sit here with my IV in my arm and dripping while talking with patients, you know, and, and I, every day I had people that were, were giving me support going through it, you know, and how important that was <clears throat> for my recovery. But it wasn't easy, of course. It took a long time, just like I mean, I mean, in two years, actually, in Lyme time is pretty short. It's pretty short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I got off, you know, I, I got I got through it um, fairly easily, easy compared to other patients that I treat. And you can't place a value on that type of support. I mean, that's almost the first step in many people's journey to getting better is trying to find some level of support, whether it's in their family or with friends or even online, because it can be so, you know, even this day and age, it's so stressful. Just, yes. you know, it's, it's being dismissed. It's like, they're just, like you said, from the doctors, just dismissed. And um, especially, and unfortunately, you know, there's the white coat syndrome with hyper, you know, with hypertension kind of thing. And you get all nervous and your blood pressure goes up with visiting the doctor. But then there's also this, this white coat syndrome where if, if somebody's having a problem with you and doesn't understand what's going on and they hear some doctor some say somewhere that they're, and they're wearing a lab coat, that Lyme disease is, is IDSA 
you know, easy to treat, easy to cure. You get over it, a couple of weeks of antibiotics. Thank you very much. The rest is just something else. So, and it doesn't exist. This, this chronic Lyme disease, then, you know, then you get friends and, and neighbors who are, who are giving you a really hard time. And yeah. I know I, I want to get into that because you actually bring up that type of thing in your book quite a bit. And that's one of the things I loved about your book. But before we go there, you, you brought up your, your past practice was in toxicity, right? In, in environmental medicine. Yeah. And let me, I'm going to ask this two, two questions. They might be related. Do you, were you under stress when you got bit and infected? Do you think, were you, vulnerable at that point in time? Yeah, well, I it's hard to know exactly when the I've actually never pulled a tick out of my skin ever that I found. So I had no idea when I was bit. Okay. And um, but I know of a couple times where I got sick. And one of them was actually in the third trimester of my pregnancy. Oh, child. Yeah. Um, and so I'm pretty convinced that that's when I developed Babesia. Um, but it was also during that H1N1 flu, uh, epidemic, you know, my son was born in 2009. So, um, I, I definitely will say that I was under stress. I was starting a practice. I was a mother of a toddler. Uh, I was, you know, cause my daughter was born two years prior and I, you know, not sleeping. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. I was um, burning the candle at both ends. And I'm just that personality anyway, who's going to do that. <laughs> uh, and, and I also had thyroid issues as well. Um, on top of that, that I developed since the, the pregnancy. So of course, the thyroid plays a really big role in, in wellness and, and being able to, you know, sustain um, during times of being ill and being able to have your immune system overcome that. So I would say, yeah, absolutely. I was. Um, and, and then, of course, not knowing that I was infected for quite a while, I think things just piled up for me and then finally became uh, noticeable. But I definitely didn't pick up on it in myself right away. When I look back, I should have picked up on it. But I did that same thing that so many other patients do of the explaining away symptoms. You know, yeah, because of course. You know, Who wants to be sick? Nobody wants to be sick. And then uh, you blame yeah. it on, you know, all these other things. And then and then you think, well, maybe I should go get this checked out. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, you're fine. We get a lot of those <laughs> here in the office where people make appointments and they're desperate to get in. And then yep. we'll get a call about a week before their appointment. I'm feeling much better now. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. I don't need the appointment. And then we'll hear from them a couple of weeks after they cancel. Yep. Thing. Oh my gosh, I made such a mistake. I got to get in. And I'm like, I know what's going on. Just come in. Even if you feel good, just come in. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, I will say environmentally, yeah, um, for a lot of people, uh, especially if there's, they live in a home with mold, uh, yeah. the big one, um, we work a lot with Richie Shoemaker's protocols and, mm -hmm. and looking at uh, genetic pathways that, that, that are able to discern if somebody has a hard time with um, getting rid of biotoxins from, from mold or from um, microbes even um, are part of his, the, the pathways that are looked at with that. And then how much inflammation that's causing in the body and then isolating the cause. And for a lot of people that causes their home, um, you know, and here with all the snow and the moisture, um, it, you know, at certain times of year, uh, you know, mold and ice dams and things like that and, and water encroaching in the house is really something that happens quite often for people. So they have no idea that their house is really the one making them sick or where they live. That's, that's potentiating their illness and making it more difficult for them. I heard a story recently of somebody in their community was mold. So they felt worse as they approached the front door. Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. So it's the like that. Their home? 
Yeah, the, the home was fine. It tested out fine. There was something in the neighborhood, some mold. So I don't know if they were in a farming community. I don't remember the details, but that isn't. Yeah, so it's a. There's the whole and and so where are you in a farming community there in New Hampshire? Yes and no. I would say it's sort of a blend of both at this point. Okay. Um, it's growing quite a bit here because uh, people are sprawling from Boston. I live about an hour outside of Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, but there still is, you know, you get out into the countryside, you know, 20, 30 minutes in any direction from where I am. And you're going to see definitely more farming community um, or people with just, you know, m- a lot of acreage where they're not necessarily farming, but they, they like to have people buy homes in here because they can get a lot of acreage. Yeah. And of course, that acreage is going to have a lot of wildlife and beauty and ticks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. All right. Let's dive into your book here. And again, one of the things I appreciated is not only are you kind of going through details of this, these are different ways to treat the infections, but you're trying to help people I like to say, think outside the tick. I think you may have even said that in, in your book, that, that phrase. And think about these co-infections and how really they fit hand in glove and and use each other to evade their immune system. It's It's really pernicious how they do that. But then also you get into the psycho, it's probably because your background, the psychosocial kind of aspects of that and taking care of your spirit and I'll say your hearing spirit healing spirit instead of fighting spirit to to keep going right to keep going and to keep a positive attitude and to keep putting one step in front of the other and and adjusting adjusting your goals and your expectations of yourself and and your community because when when you do become very very ill like you were and you're sitting there with a pick line doing your job at the same time it's not the same as it was a year ago when you could burn the candle at three ends and juggle children and jobs and starting new business. So how, how, how did you integrate that? What do you recommend? What do you see in patients? Like what's the beginning step here? And then people are already sick, but how do they get their, their minds right, their spirits right so that they can begin to make, you know, realistic decisions, realistic informed choices in, in terms of healing. Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, the the I'd say that what it comes right down to it that the core issue for just about everyone, myself included, um, is really getting a lesson on self care and also boundaries. Um, you'll find that the individuals that really struggle the most are the ones that are so incredibly hard on themselves because they can't be uh, they can't be this person that they were for others. Or the person that they saw or the thought, you know, the, like the image or the person that they thought that they, they, the person they think they should be, that should be going to be able to do all these activities, be able to go do all this work, be able to like maintain these schedules, um, having a hard time saying no to others, um, you know, having, being able to say, you know, these are individuals that want to do so many different things and we're able to do a lot of things. And so mentally, emotionally, it can be very crushing when you can't go, even like if you were someone who was a bike rider, uh, you know, an avid bike rider, hiker, um, and, you know, involved in activities and you can't do that anymore. There's, there's that grieving and that kind of loss and fear that, that you're not going to be able to do that again. So for a lot of people, it's a total change of their self-concept. Um, 
you know, depending on how long the illness is, is, is allowed to, you know, how long that goes on for somebody. So the, the, the first piece of it is just going to be that, that self-care piece of, of being able to, to say no. And I noticed that individuals who, you know, are able to, to step back and, and reel it in and realize what the priorities are, like what really, they only have so much real estate. <laughs> we only have so much real estate that we can think about, that we can be involved in um, on a daily basis. And if we're spending a lot of time with thinking about all the things we can't have, that we're not able to do, who we're letting down, we're letting ourselves down, we're letting our kids down, um, you know, uh, I, I'm letting my partner down, um, I just can't get well, I, you know, I, I can't do this, I can't do that. And you spend the majority of your real estate, of your thought form real estate thinking about that, um, then that is going to have an impact on the physical body. And there's a there's a, a field of study called psychoneuroimmunology, which studies the, you know, how our thoughts impact um, proteins expressed by our cells and how our nervous system works and that integrates with the immune system. So if if those things are not uh, if if we're spending a lot of time thinking and worrying, um, the other component of this, I know I might be <laughs> this might be uh, jumping around here a little bit, but another That's component right. is individuals who, when they have Lyme, spend a whole bunch of time focused in on um, you know trying to find the next cure, trying to yeah. find yep. things to over research. So then again, they're spending all of this time in in chat rooms and in all these places trying just just completely immersed and sunk into it to the point where they lose themselves and then the, they spend the rest of the time feeling the sense of loss and then there's no place that supports them through this that then you look at a community that's reflecting back to somebody that well you why aren't you over this yet you know why aren't you better yet all right you're not seeing you know maybe your doctor isn't giving you the right treatment and that's why you're not better yet and maybe you're not you, you try this my aunt my aunt josie tried this this is going to cure you. It made her better, you know, or, and, and then it gets to a point where people get isolated because then if they do share how they feel after a while, they're not getting a very supportive response because people's expectations socially that you should be over something or done with something don't match what somebody's actually experiencing. So then they, they, they become more withdrawn and, um, you know, kind of more isolated. Um, so I know I kind of went off on a lot of tangents on that, but <laughs> No, that's a, that's the discussion that I was very interested in, and and you bring up a very interesting point. I haven't said this explicitly on this podcast podcast yet, but I'm going to start encouraging people to go on an information diet, and, yes. and to and to limit. I mean, you really don't need to know fifty different Lyme treatments. You need to know the one you're working on now and then plan B if that doesn't work. And after that, stop. <laughs> you know, if you do have to go to plan B, then you know, you can research another one. Or whether it's a practitioner, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with a practitioner. And and I there there is so much out there and you know everything has worked once for everybody. And Everything has not worked for somebody, and you will find all that information on the internet. And you can't ride more than one horse at a time unless you're in a circus. And we don't want to be in a circus. We want to get cured from, from Lyme disease. So with that, in your practice, in your experience, how – and I know that I know there's no straight answer for this, but in general, gross generalities here. How long for treatment modality do you give – 
before you start thinking, well, maybe it's time to try something else? So um, a, a typical average treatment time, we're talking about chronic Lyme, um, chronic tick-borne diseases. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about from like from you know coming to your office to be completely cured. Thank you very much. I'm just talking about when when should you begin to see some positive feedback? Yeah. So uh, if I'm just starting off with a patient and getting them started on a medication, um, typically, uh, and this is maybe their first time attempting to treat Lyme, usually the first two to four months are the most difficult um, with something called a Herxheimer response or Herxheimer reaction uh, or a Yarash Herxheimer reaction named after a scientist that discovered that people were having reactions um, with certain infections where inflammation would go up and have, they'd have more difficulty while, while treating those infections. And it, and that same, and that typically, that most typically happens with spirochete infections like syphilis. And then of course with uh, Lyme disease is a spirochete infection. So people typically will kind of be on an up and down roller coaster in the first two to four months. I usually meet with patients every two months, um, unless they need me sooner in between hand, uh, depending on a, a, an urgent situation. And the reason why uh, the time period seems so long is because I, I need people to be on the meds for a certain period of time in order for me to be able to give them information and give them feedback that, hey, yeah, okay, uh, you know, by the first visit, let's say two months in, I usually tell people that I, I expect to see some things improve, some things are going to be worse. And then some things you might get some new symptoms you didn't have before or, you know, um, but there's going to be some shift there somewhere or the other. And, and that's and then that's pretty much to me, that's like a good prognosis that they're running with the pack. If somebody comes in to see me two months in and they're on a medication, uh, a, a medication regime, natural medicine or a, a blended with antibiotics or just natural medicine alone, and I'm not seeing any change you know, there's been no change in symptoms, then, you know, I, then I usually will end up changing what is it, what it is I'm doing. Um, so as long as I'm still seeing change, as people move along and come back and see me, it, it sort of is taken by a case by case basis with every kind of chunk of time that I see someone. But if we're still seeing progress in their symptoms, I'll usually keep them where they're at, maybe tweak a few things, depending on if something's coming up with their digestive system or, um, you know, their, their hormones or something of that nature. Um, and, and then if we get to a point where there's a plateau where things kind of stay the same or regress pretty negatively uh, and stay pretty consistently, you know, uh, have symptoms that are more difficult and they stay more persistently and consistently um, versus just like a flare, uh, like a Herxheimer response, um, then obviously I, I change I change the medication regime. And again, that might be adding a different, uh, changing the antibiotic, that might be changing the natural medicine, that might be taking away the antibiotics today for two or three patients um, you know, uh, that I saw today, I saw about uh, 12 patients today for two or three patients, uh, you know, it was saying, Hey, you know, your antibiotics don't really seem to be working very well. And let's try doing all natural only. And then had a few follow-ups with patients where I've done that, uh, where I did that a few, <clears throat> like a couple months ago when they're doing fabulous. So, um, you know, that, that's typically how it goes as far as, um, as treatment goes with patients, it is more of on an individual basis, but um, I hope that gives a good idea of kind of what I expect to see and what other doctors, you know, I think kind of I, I, from what I gather, follow that same sort of patterning. Yeah. And, and I think I like the two month window. That's long enough and to l allow things to run their course a, a long enough for your body to respond and to get to get some idea. And again, I'm not looking for total cure, but I think we do run into, I'm sure you've had those patients too, where they've been on a treatment 
regimen for six months or a year, and yeah. there's been very little shift in anything. And you know they're being told, well, just hang in there. And at some point, that you're just it doesn't make sense. No, that's not. I have there are you know that is a particular style of of some docs that treat this, and and it's not mine. I, I you're um, so diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, and, and there are some people who probably don't agree with how I, you know, would treat something and might have a different. Process, so I have to be, I have to be very uh, humble because, um, yeah, you know, uh, well, I, of of course, if opinionated, I'm going to get schooled somewhere along the line if I. <laughs> well, um, right. When when everything we got figured out, God sends a patient along just to remind us, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. it does happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so I understand that, but but the the point the point is, and and. You know, in in your case, you've got the experience, you've got the personal experiment experience, the clinical experience, and 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 that helps definitely. You know, I I think when really people begin to struggle and then can go down the rabbit hole of trying to find the perfect the perfect solution, the silver bullet that's going to cure the Lyme, which we all know that for the most part, once it's chronic, it isn't because you're not just dealing with Lyme; you're dealing with eighteen other things as a as Horowitz says, but but I think we, there needs to be some realistic understanding of okay, I need to be taking another close look at myself and my health, and 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 tracking it too, you know. So when you take notes, you know, so you you can look at a patient and look back and say, okay, this has improved over two months. You may not remember it, but when you first came in, and they'll say, oh yeah, I remember that. That has gotten better, you know. So. And so I think it's important that that people do that as well, and not to track. I think tracking every day makes you crazy. There's Absolutely. just you know, once a week is probably too much too. So you know, once a month, once every two months, something like that, taking some form of assessment or you know, visiting your practitioners is. It sounds like really smart thing to do. So thank you for being willing to put an, and even though you had qualifications on it, putting a a time frame on that. And in that, I also want to kind of bring this conversation uh, toward a close. But before we do that, one of the things you bring up in your book is a block to healing and it you label it as a spiritual block. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so- that area is so... You know, we we throw around this the word spirit, and really, it's kind of like energy in my world. It's 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 used in so many ways by so many people that's almost become meaningless. But you mean something quite specific by it? Yeah. Well, I think so. We are way more than we know about ourselves. Like we, um, you know, we are we are bigger than we than we understand, and we are more powerful than we understand. Um, and part of what's happening on many spiritual fronts, um, with different religions and also with the new age movement is people trying to wake up to that, trying to find their way back to that and, um, trying to find that way back to understanding and having communication with our bodies and having communication with higher aspects of ourselves, um, you know, with the whole community, with feeling connected, um, you know, with ourselves and with the greater, you know, the greater picture. And so when it comes to our, um, there are decisions that get made that are not even conscious decisions, 
on a, on a, on a soul level, I believe. And, and I, I've experienced enough with patients. I, I practice um, shamanic healing arts as well as other energy medicine modalities and have been training in that for several years and continue to, and probably will continue to evolve that <laughs> for the rest of my life. Um, as it is a, just, it's a practice just like med, you know, just, just as medicine is a practice and it's a different form of medicine, but it goes more into, you know, where, where are we not hearing ourselves? Where are we not consciously aware where we have actually made a choice? Um, and again, not a choice. It's, it, it's a, it's a very delicate place to go and have a conversation. Cause a lot of times when you start going into this conversation, people might jump to think, well, are you saying I'm choosing to be sick? Are you saying I'm, you know, this is my fault, <laughs> you know, and right, right. kind of get turned off by the idea of having the conversation, especially if they're very angry and, and, you know, have a lot of trauma around being told that they're making this up and that they're, you know, um, so, but it's about getting into the unconscious and subconscious level of, you know, what is, what kind of decisions are we making in, in a, you know, that are kind of behind, behind the curtain, you know, in, in the more of the, in the shadows and bringing that more to the forefront. And this isn't just stuff that, you know, it's, it's incorporating stuff that's happened to us in this lifetime, uh, here, uh, since birth, um, you know, traumas, things like that, that we didn't even know that where decisions were sort of made that now a disease comes into the body and lands in the body. And we already have certain ways we think and feel and energies that we carry frequencies that we carry based on things that we've experienced and that choices we've made out of surviving those experiences. Cause I mean, you know, to varying degrees, people have more traumatizing lives versus less um, versus others. But what somebody views as being traumatizing is what's important. It could be something that somebody else who has survived horrific, you know, refugee crises and has seen terrible things, um, you know, murders happen in front of them and have had terrible abuses and atrocities, um, really could have honestly the same type of experience with somebody who might have just, you know, witnessed something that we wouldn't consider to be that big of a deal. But to that person, that was a major trauma for them. So then a decision gets made, especially in youth, that can alter and change how we're going to respond to a certain infection when it comes into the system and how much that infection will become magnified. Or how how is that partnering? We can't control that a tick you know, if when we're talking about tick-borne disease, if a tick decides it's going to make us lunch, you know, make us their dinner, we we don't have control over that per se, if it's going to happen. But um, once the disease comes in, and especially if you get multiple bites over time, and it's not dealt with, there is a physical component there. It's not purely just psychological and spiritual. But if somebody feels disempowered by the fact that we can't control how fast Lyme is going to move through the physical body by just using medications and taking stuff from the outside world, how do we empower somebody from the inside out? So by trying to go inward, um, and help someone try to find those links to anything that they're holding on to that are blocks, um, belief systems, even, um, so one of the methods used is applied kinesiology. That one's very well known. It's muscle testing. Um, a lot of people use that for different, uh, in different ways. So you can start to ask the body, Hey, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, do you want to be well? And, and the person I'll ask the person they're laying there, uh, you know, I'll ask them just verbally and they'll say, well, of course I'm here. Like I'm on your table. Like, what do you think? I'm like, I'm paying for your time. Why would I be here if I didn't want to be well? And then I ask the body and the body says, nope. And then we go back and we start to trace, well, where did that original belief, you know, about not being worthy about, you know, what, what choice did you make that you felt like you didn't deserve to be well? You know, this is just one, this is just one example. Yeah. 
there are wounds that we carry that are not just ours that we have in this lifetime, um, but also that follow in our families. So there's tons of research coming out now on transgenerational healing and transgenerational trauma. Um, you know, the population that gets probably the most research done, of course, they're doing a lot of it with mice because they can unfortunately traumatize a mouse or a mouse mother and then follow the pups. And we can see that in a very succinct amount of time that we can watch and study. But as far as the human population, um, most of that's done with, um, you know, tracing and tracking Holocaust survivors with certain genetic. So epigenetics is another term that we're seeing become more popular and, and more out there. And because it is about people taking being able to step more into taking personal responsibility and trying to, and and trying to take their power back, you know, feel empowered about, you know, not feel disempowered and like we're stuck in a body that's sick uh, and that we're just stuck here and that we're just supposed to, you know, there are times and many, many times where we need to surrender and be, you know, and, and just accept that this is what's going on with our bodies. But there are ways to do that in a way where we can also empower ourselves at the same time and be in acceptance that there is suffering going on. But look at how am I, you know, is there something else going on that could ease my suffering? Is there something I'm holding on to? So I know, again, I'm, I'm, I could go and talk about this for hours. So I'll kind of, uh, <laughs> I'll kind of bring in and bring the horses back here a little bit. But I, that I, I hope I answered the question. It didn't go too off into um, into 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 something too big and heady. But the um, the main thing there is that you know we can't deny that right now science is starting to you know really corroborate and show things that you know shamanic practitioners and and, ener- and individuals with sensitivities and, and and who've been doing energy work and you know acupuncture and, and 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 all these modalities that are entering into the different aspects of our physical body. And our energy bodies, because we we know we hear about the chakras and all that type of thing. There, you know, and then the nadis and the meridians. That data is stored there, and so how do we access that data when we need it the most? You know, when our health is really our body is really going in a different direction than our psyche wants to go. And how do we make them merge together so that um, you know? How do we bring those two together so that the body can now start to benefit from? the psyche being healed, you know, the soul, the, the yeah, spirit. Absolutely. So, again, I hope I didn't go too far. <laughs> no, well, the, 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 we don't, this is a conversation, boy, who's conversation? So this is a conversation out in the world that it's probably been going on for millennia for as long as there have been yeah. people. But our recent, it's kind of faded away a little bit and is is just coming back to the baseline, let's say. And our kind of our current we're we're awkward with the conversation. We're just we're not fluent in it. It's not a common experience that's talked a whole lot. I mean, there's tons out there, but there's there's so many different ideas that when we do talk about it, it is we're fumbling a little bit. It's like a, a toddler walking. They're just it's not a confident stride of a you know of a of a 21 year old. It's it's a beginning conversation. So I think it's important why I asked you about that is it's so important to consider ways that we're not well or ways that we're that that our healings block. Let's even put it that way. That mm-hmm. interrupt our healing that like you said is in our un- uh, unconscious and because of our blinders, you know, if we're studying herbal preparations, you know, the herbs may or may not touch the spirit. 
you know, just depending on how we're using them and the context we're using them in. And to just focus on how do I open up this particular detoxification pathway? Or how do I support these antioxidants? Or what's the best way to kill Babesia? <laughs> or support my body to kill it? That, that limits us. And for the people who've been stuck for many, many years, it, it, you need to take expand the vision. You need to expand the possibility of you know what what's really holding me back here, and I to, to kind of bring this home. It, she wasn't patient of mine, but I had interviewed her a couple times on the on the podcast. This lovely young woman, oh, she's Danish or something. Anyway, up from that corner of the world, and had Lyme terribly, just terrible, terrible, terrible. And what finally flipped the switch for her was she did a, a, a mental training program, essentially some, some brain repattern training. And she, she learned how to manage her own brain. And that she said, once she got into this, you know, basically listening to recordings and, and doing some exercises on her own, it's like, she felt so much better. It was the right medicine at the right time. And it had nothing to do with taking a, another supplement or herb or antibiotic. And I think we need to keep, like you said, we're bigger, we're bigger than we think we are. There's more going on than we think we are. And if we're stuck, it's probably not about the stuff we know. <laughs> it's the stuff we don't know or the stuff we don't know that we don't know. Exactly. And we don't know to yeah. ask those questions. We yeah. don't know what questions to ask and we don't know that we can ask those questions. Um, yeah. you know, and so that's that's the interesting piece too. And when you bring up um so we look at herbs right now in science, peer-reviewed research is really looking into <clears throat> studying more herbs and their, their properties and everything else. But then you have a whole subset of cultures, um, indigenous cultures and, um, you know, individuals who study plant spirit medicine, who really understand how to communicate with plants, you know, and, and we know plants respond to human interaction when we treat them a certain way, we say certain things to them. We know we have that interaction with them. So what is that field? What is that connection that we have with them? And, and also going back to the patient you were talking about, um, you know, we really have so much more power in rebuilding ourselves and having the patience to allow our bodies to rebuild. I think the big piece here is also patience and patience runs through everything that we've discussed in regards to treatment time, um, in regards to, you know, being on an information, uh, you know, an information cleanse or detox. <laughs> <laughs> I like that information cleanse. That's awesome. Yeah, we're so I'm stealing that. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, because we're, well, we're, so, there's, I mean, I would say even Lyme, you just take Lyme out of it and you ask anybody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and even as a doctor, I can't keep up. And I feel like I read constantly and I still feel like I can't keep up on the latest thing and the latest thing and the latest thing of this coming out and that coming out. And it feels even more fast and furious now than it did when I first started practicing um, to try to just keep up with how things keep changing and uh, different opinions about things keep, you know, the stem cells and, and then the exosomes and in this therapy and that therapy and trying to just keep up with all that. And sometimes I can, all I can do is just sit back and go, okay, what do I know to do? And let's just calm down and just have a discussion with this patient and just get back to basics. You know, sometimes you just got to pull it back and, you know, um, and, and, and sometimes it just can feel overwhelmed. And so the, the, but the impatience is what's motivating that, 
you know, we want it, you know, we want right now, we want it fixed right now. How come it's not fixed right now? There's got to be something else that's going to fix this right now. Right. And our brains are really starting to become wired about what, you know, based on the technology <laughs> so fast at wanting everything so fast and wanting it. And so the, 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 the patient's piece on all levels, with the mind, body, spirit, um, and then our interaction with microbes and how long it takes to recover, recoup, um, you know, the, the big piece, I think, for everybody, too, when you asked about the thing for patients is, is um, you know, the, the self-care, but also patience is a big one. And, and I, I'm right up there with somebody that constantly has to work on that. <laughs> so with yeah. every technology, there is a lesson or a, a rebound or some other technology that needs to come in behind it and clean it up. And we have, you know, created a massive technology. It was not since the written word. We don't think of writing as a technology, but it was. And when I was complaining about something years ago, and my daughter, who's studying ancient Greek at the time, told me, you know, that's the same thing they said 5,000 years ago when writing was introduced in Greece, and they claimed it was going to ruin the culture and destroy storytelling and so forth and so on. And in one sense, they were right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it did. We did lose that quite a bit, but it introduced a whole nother, you know, writing has been a wonderful, powerful tool. So I think we're in that kind of evolutionary societal change right now, which makes things even, you know, more upheaval in, in dealing with simple things like a, a simple quote unquote, simple thing, like a chronic infection, like Lyme and all the friends that come along with it. Okay. Dr. Greenspan, mm -hmm. before we can't, we can't go without plugging your book. And I want to plug it hard because it's an awesome book. Uh, tell us, a just a, a little bit about your book. Where can people get it? Is it on Amazon? Is it on audiobooks? It's like all that kind of good stuff. And then how can people get in touch with you? And do you do phone consults or is do they have to drive up to New Hampshire? Um, well, they can, uh, they can uh, find me on um, www.greenhousemedicine.com. And I would say, yeah, I, I do – tend to um, want to meet with people that are a little closer in here um, to where I practice versus doing something where, you know, I'm treating somebody across the country. So I don't tend to do phone consults, uh, you know, per se as a, as a practice with um, like telemedicine at this point, because um, I will on a case by case basis with patients. Um, but typically I need to meet with somebody in person first. Um, and then uh, let's see here. As far as the book, the book is Rising Above Lyme Disease, and it's about it's available on Amazon and Kindle and Barnes and Noble. And um, it's not an audio book yet. I've been trying to get my publishers to, you know, I've been talking with them, so we're in discussions with that because my main motivation for wanting an audio book is that a lot of Lyme patients have a hard time reading. Yeah, exactly. Forward, and yeah. they do better with audio. So I've been trying to to kind of push for that to happen. So hopefully that will happen. Um, and, um, yeah, outside of that, um, there you go. There's me. <laughs> um, but the book itself, uh, really is meant for patients, families, um, doctors. There's a, you know, I did a ton of research on the latest, um, research on the herbs and, um, you know, what's, what's happening with Lyme disease. Um, I tried to stay as current as I could. So it, it definitely could be helpful with practitioners that are treating this or those that are just getting started and, or those that just want to take a look and see what, what I'm up to. And there's a lot of tables in the back that have 
the the different herbs and how they should be used and um, and dosages and and also what they're what they're helpful for um, as far as and, and as the citations as well on that. So it's really just I, the main motivation for the book was that I what I pictured in my mind was somebody who's by themselves, um, let's say in the middle of the night, having, you know, just anxious and, and afraid and feeling very alone that, you know, if they had my book and could read it, that it would help them feel better. And, or if they want to have their family member understand or their friends understand what they're going through and they don't have it in them to try to explain it all, or maybe their families or friends are just, you know, don't want to hear it from them necessarily, or kind of not, or it's falling on deaf ears, but if they hear it from somebody else. So sort of a, as an advocate, um, at spreading what I feel is, you know, really solid information on what's going on. Um, and so that, that was my main motivation for writing it. Yeah. It's an amazing book. And what I love about it is, let me back up here just a little second, give a little context is, so we've been doing this podcast now for going, it's almost five years. You'll be like the 235th interview or something like that by the time it comes out. And kind of started off just, well, let's kind of just get started. And in interviewing people, both patients, researchers, practitioners, what became very clear is there's no clear path. You know, you get cancer and the doctor said, like, and you said this earlier, there's no cancer, there's a path. Like you may not like the path that the doctors choose for you, right? But there's a very clear path and these are the steps you do and these are the people we bring in and here are your treatment options. Lyme disease, like you say, once you get past the first two, three weeks, month, two months, and you're still sick, there's nothing out there. So people aren't really, and, and doctors don't have this too, and practitioners don't have this. There's no roadmap. And your book is the closest we've seen to really filling in what we believe are the steps for the roadmap. And that's that's remarkable. So, you know, it takes you from the very beginning. It takes you getting your mind right. It takes you through diagnosis and possible other diagnosis, preparing for treatment. You know, that's so very important. And you can kind of prepare for treatment as you're getting treatment. And then, you know, the different ways to treatment. treatment uh, and, and you really begin to break this all down. And then, you know, re resetting your expectations and like what to do and how to keep going. So it's really, it's a fabulous, it's a fabulous book. And I, I really can't recommend it highly enough. Wow. I'm touched. That's, that's an amazing explanation of the book. I <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You can tell that this is, I, I, I get this, you know, Lyme disease is kind of on this edge right now where, you know, five years ago, and you've, you've been here long enough that it was just one of those fringe diagnosis things. And now there's enough attention that it's attracting the kind of the second generation and the people who want to get in on the the gravy train, so to speak, right? So there are a lot of people throwing their hats into the ring with, I don't want to say half-baked, but they don't have the full understanding of the disease yet. They've got some good ideas. They're good people, but it's incomplete. And you clearly have, you know, and probably because you're a patient too, right? And, and been through a really tough time. You really see everything that's connected to it. It, it really is. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you're, you're able to hear my compliment and take it in because it's sincere. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep this on tape, and so when I'm having a bad day, I'll just be like, okay, here you go. <laughs> I'll, play, I'll play this back. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's oh, that's, 
lovely to hear. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'll have Aurora clip it for you and we'll send it along. <laughs> My positive affirmation table yeah. in the background. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, we all, I just heard a story of somebody who's kept a treasure chest of thank you oh. notes. And I think that's, uh, we all, we all need to do that to be reminded from time to time. Well, Dr. Greenspan, you've been incredibly generous with your time. And thank you for all the time and effort putting your book together. It's going to help a lot of people. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me on your show. This was a great episode. And you know, it really struck me, especially when she was talking about setting boundaries, that your habits really need to change as soon as you realize you're sick. Like the things that you've been doing that you can do without thinking or kind of those maybe kind of self-destructive habits that, you know, you can kind of get away with when you're mostly feeling well, they suddenly doesn't work anymore, especially when you have like nothing left to give and suddenly you're, and suddenly you're, it's like those damages become very apparent. A researcher named Carol Dweck, I believe that she was at a university of Pennsylvania, uh, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Anyway, uh, she did a lot of work on something called growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. And it had to do with young students and sometimes older students as well, dealing with new information, but you kind of like middle age, middle age, sorry, middle school aged students. And basically the students who loved the grind, so to speak, who were praised for doing hard work and working hard in the long run were more successful because when they hit a challenge, they kept on going. And healing is the same way. You need to develop a healing mindset. And that's critical. If you don't have a healing mindset, all the antibiotics and probiotics and nutraceuticals and herbs in the world are not going to get you better. It's You're going to hit a roadblock and you will self-destruct. You will fall apart. Something will happen. The most important thing that you can do is a healing mindset. And that includes all the things Dr. Greenspan talked about, the boundaries, the habits to, to reassess. And to know that you're not going to be perfect doing it. That's part of having a healing mindset is this what's not about perfection. It's about keeping going in the face of setbacks. That's the most important thing. And guarantee you with Lyme disease and all the co-infections, all the things, you're going to have setbacks. Just part of the nature of it. It's part of the roadmap. Like not to be surprised when setbacks happen. Speaking of the roadmap, we told you how to get it. Go ahead over to LimeNinjaRadio.com. You'll see a button there that says Lime Ninja Extras or at the menu at the top, it'll say Extras. Click on that. You'll see another link for it, the Lime Journey Roadmap. And that will begin to help you map out what to do. So when you do hit a roadblock, you know what to do next. It's not the end of the world. So if your current protocol doesn't work, no big deal. You've got plan B right there. And the other thing it allows you to do, go on an information diet. I mean, I, we need to do a whole episode on this. There's you feel so very much, strongly about so this. There's <laughs> so much information out there. And you've been consuming it for the past the, five years. Right. And you've been listening <laughs> to this podcast and you're overwhelmed. <laughs> Things like this podcast. And more I'm talking about people selling 
things rather than sharing information. But even sharing information, everybody's got an opinion about the protocol that you're on. The only one who knows whether it's right or not for you is you and your body. Either you're going to feel better or you're not. And I love Dr. Greenspan says, give it, give it about three months. If you're three months in and it's not working, there's the time to begin to consider, okay, let's pull the plug and move on to plan B. That's why you need a plan B. But you don't need C, D, E, F, G, H, I. You don't need to know 8,000 things. You don't need to spend hours or days or weeks researching something that you can't get to either because it's illegal in the state you're in or because it's a $60,000 residential program in Germany and your own food stamps, right? Like, let's, let's have a reality check here with the roadmap. Or if your heart set on getting that $60,000 German residential program, I'm making it up. I don't know what it really is. <laughs> then how Fine. are you going to get the money, right? How are you going to raise the money? There's where well, there's a will, there's a way. But put that plan together in place. You know, that's part of your roadmap. That's part of your journey. If that's truly what you want to do, that's the next phase that you want to do. Great. Go for it. But let's get organized about this. Let's get organized. I would say be a little bit realistic. But if you need a big dream, like who's me? Who am I? I'm just to hold you we're back? just schmucks with a mic. We're just <laughs> two schmoes with a mic. <laughs> Speaking of schmoes, if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. That way you won't miss any of this fantastic info. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It really helps us reach more people like you. Yes, thank you. We've gotten two new reviews since we started begging for them. So we're going to continue to beg. Can we get it up to three this week? (laughs) So please, please, please head on over to iTunes, spend a moment. If you've got it on your phone, it's just at the bottom of the app there. Hit review, at least hit the stars. That's super easy. And if you have the brain power, go ahead and write a couple sentences for us. We'd really appreciate it. Also, do you have any feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything? Send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know, last week, a ninja got pulled over in Columbus, Ohio, for doing 50 in a 30 mile per hour zone. But since he wasn't in a car, they had to give him a ticket for jaywalking. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.